the four horsemen. What you have here is the four horsemen, united, live and exciting color. Um, not those four horsemen. These four horsemen discuss theology from different viewpoints, different perspectives, as we show people how to have discussions without turning into a keyboard warrior. Are you stupid? Now, here's Dennis Thurman, Adam Black, Benjamin Kerfman, and Terry Hollifield, the Four Horsemen. We welcome you to another podcast of the Four Horsemen, and here we are, Terry Hollifield. Benjamin Kerfman and Adam Black and yours truly, Dennis Thurman, back with you again this week uh, after my trip to Canada. If this were a video, I'd show you many pictures of the Bay of Fundy, the Acadian National Park, Niagara Falls. Well, we'll, we'll move beyond that. And the home of Jane Cannon. Yes. Who yes, listens yes. Who listens to our podcast. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Shout out to our favorite Canadian. Yes, Canada. that was Nova Ooh. Scotia. I don't know many Canadians, eh? <laughs> But uh, we want to talk. Does anyone else? No, no, it's true. But there, <laughs> there are, are some, many of them. There are some up no, there. No. Every actor is from Canada. There, there mm-hmm. are a lot of lots being filmed. A lot of there. moose, meese, deer, meese. I didn't see any meese. <laughs> Meeses, they're meeses. But, but it was a it was a great trip. So anyway, we're glad to be back with you, and we'll talk about a trip that uh, many churches need to embark on, and that's the the road to revitalization. And so, uh, I know, th- thank you. And this will be part two because I didn't get to it. In this the will previous. be part two. Terry Hollifield was supposed to have covered that, but uh, we needed some, uh, some this uh, erudite, uh, scholar who is, uh, very uh, vociferous and voluminous in his verbiage. Google uh, covered a lot. Loquacious. Of, uh, well, I when you're a full time pastor, you can learn stuff like that. You, yeah. you, you can. Alliteration is very important if you're going to be a Southern Baptist pastor. <laughs> So any of you out there thinking about a calling, if you're not uh, gifted in alliteration, just be a uh, Presbyterian. D- do some, yes, or a Methodist, <laughs> oh, or use the Andy Stanley philosophy, Amen. and then you know just one point uh, drawn from something. Uh, just make one. Just <laughs> make one point is <laughs> yes, what we drawn from yes. the dumpster. <laughs> <laughs> and and I and I actually prefer uh, Longhorn preaching, uh, two points with a lot of bull in between. <laughs> so. So here, so here we are talking about church revitalization, which is a very serious subject because there are a lot of churches that are in need of it, a lot of churches that are, are dying, ministries that were once vital and alive and active, thriving, reaching people, uh, fulfilling the Great Commission, but they've gone the opposite direction, churches that plateaued and then got into the death spiral. So can they be brought back, and what's the process, and how does that, uh, how does that happen? So the first thing I'd like for us to explore for a few moments is what exactly are we talking about when uh, we discuss church revitalization? Is that just another one of those buzzwords that are prevalent in our current church culture, or uh, is there some some real substance to it? So uh, let's begin with Mr. Hollifield. Tell us what you perceive church revitalization to be about. Well, I, I see it as just as what you described, Dennis, breathing life back into something. That's what reviving is, something that was previously vibrant and uh, life-producing, life-giving, that maybe has become seemingly dead, needs resuscitation, as it were. So I, I see life being breathed back into an organization of people. And if people are the church, obviously revitalization then is going to have to start in hearts. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes us live, and he's the one who revives us as well. So I think it's an act of the Lord. It's very interesting, Terry, that you mentioned that about the people. And, of course, we understand that's what the church is. 
But one thing I've noticed is that oftentimes the building where they meet and the properties and grounds sometimes convey uh, what's going on in the in the lives of the people. And that's true. Yeah. Uh, I know coming back from New England, you'd see a building that you'd think as you're getting close. Well, that's a nice church facility, and you get close to it, and it's become a community center, right. or they're storing hay in it for the animals, you know. Uh, and, and that was a place where the people once met, and, and now uh, that is no longer. That gospel witness, the light has gone out, which, of course, Jesus warned us would happen. Well, we see that the, the things the culture worship are taking the place of the church. I, was, I don't know if you guys saw, but recently Beyonce bought a church building. I did hear that. And they had a, a bay mass there you go. for her. I just, in my opinion, blasphemous. Sure it is. So it's it's indicative of what you're talking right, about, exactly. Right. And the deterioration that you see set in, if people are not maintaining those things, it, it really, uh, to me, is oftentimes indicative of what's going on in their in their soul. So, uh, but it does have to do with the people in their, in their walk with God, and that's where the, the decline, I think, begins uh, personally and spiritually. So, Adam, let me move to you. And if you were just telling me as a, a man on the street, here's what I'm talking about when I'm speaking of church revitalization. How would you express that to me? Well, it's, it's a situation in which you want to see a church that, that has an impact in the community, that has a presence in the community more than anything. If he knows anything about the church, he probably has an opinion on it, or if he doesn't have an opinion on it. I know some folks around the community where I'm serving, some even didn't, they didn't even know the church was even open. And so the fact of trying to talk about, well, we're trying to make an impact in the community. We're trying to have a presence back in the community and things of that nature. Um, and when we've, we've talked about that with folks that, um, Oh, okay. Well, that's good to, to know you guys are still open. I would say that was more of a presence in the community from the community standpoint is what I would tell them. So to me, Adam, that's a very uh, interesting direction you've taken with that in that as we think about church revitalization, our tendency might be to focus on the people of God and what's happening inside those four walls. But what I hear you saying is that if a church is to be revitalized, that there's got to be that outward focus. You've got to look in the community. Uh, you've got to see what kind of impact is being registered by that church. Uh, for without that, there's no revitalization uh, taking place. It's just all wind addressing. Would that be accurate? Yeah, I mean, it's it's what is the mission of the church? You know, what is what is the the mission of the church globally? I mean, it is the Great Commission in a sense, and so. If you're not reaching out, you will die. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the bottom line. It's just going to take time, but you will eventually die if you aren't pursuing uh, spreading the gospel and making disciples. Uh, it's just a matter of time, really. Yeah, um, I've I've often thought about it, and you've heard this illustration of you have the same water flowing into the Sea of Galilee that flows into the Dead Sea. And yet the Sea of Galilee is teeming with life and fish and vegetation. You go to the Dead Sea and it's, guess what, dead. Both have the same input, but only one has an outlet. Mm -hmm. And that's the Sea of Galilee. And there's life and vitality there. The only way water escapes from the Dead Sea is through evaporation, leaves all that heavy mineral content. So I think in the same way that, that in the church, a real indicator of the need for revitalization is when you just really start focusing on your preferences, your programming, 
your prejudices, all those things, looking inwardly. Right. And when that happens, maybe still getting Bible study, you may still be talking all the talk, offering prayers, doing all those kinds of things. But what's happening slowly but surely is that the death, decay, is uh, is taking place. And looking inward isn't. Uh, it prevents looking upward as well. Mm-hmm. You know, so not only would you not be looking outward to the people in your community as an outlet of the the flow of the water, to use your analogy, right. but there's no input of fresh uh, fresh wind uh, from the from the spirit of God either, because you're not looking up to the Lord. You're looking at your own preferences, like you said. Well, and all you got to do is look at the church at Ephesus. They left their first love. And so that relationship with Jesus that was vital, that was vibrant, was one that they had departed from. They were still very busy, apparently, in ministry. But the Lord said, basically, you know, uh, what's going to happen is I'm going to come in there and I'm going to turn the lights out. And that's what happened to that church. And it's what happens to any. The sequence is found in Isaiah chapter mm-hmm. 6, where, first of all, Isaiah has that upward look where he sees the Lord. And out of that spirit of worship, there's an inward look in that he gets right and repents, woe is me, I'm undone. But then what? The outward look uh, where the Lord says, uh, who will go for me? He says, here am I, send me. And I think that is a proper sequence. Ben, I want to cap that part of our discussion up. You have been around churches before, I'm sure, that need revitalization. We don't necessarily want to call any out by name and and embarrass them. But uh, but I I would say almost every church is in some need of revitalization. Would you believe this to be true? That if a church is not continually being revitalized, that it's going to be going the other direction. That'd be true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we talked about this. Law of entropy. Of, yeah, law of entropy. Part of that shepherding is, you know, if you're driving down the road and, and you get the car straight and you take your hand off the wheel, it's going to wreck. You're constantly having to make little adjustments and corrections along the way to, to keep going to your destination. I think with any church of any size and any culture, there's always going to, that's part of shepherding is keeping the car on the road. Mm-hmm. You mean to tell me there's not a pastor out there that says we're exactly where we need to be? Uh, if they do, I would say they're <laughs> ignorant. Right. You know and what I'm saying? I, I would say they're not it. where they need to be. Right. You yeah, won't right. find it yeah. spiritually. You won't no, find some, it. some people may say that, but they would, I think they'd be incorrect. And I think, sure. there, I think there can be seasons. Obviously. I mean, if, if you can't, look back over your ministry and, and see a marked improvement overall in some areas, then I, I would be concerned about that. The same thing with our sanctification. If I'm, if my relationship with Christ is the same way as it was a year ago, that that's an issue. Now, mm-hmm. does that mean that I don't have times that I need to be corrected? No, but I can say, you know, I'm a better Christian now than I was 10 years ago by God's grace. And our churches should be able to say the same thing too. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let me kind of transition from the, the what, I think we understand that, uh, to the why. Why does revitalization need to take place? And let's talk a little bit about the symptoms of a church in decline, things that are beginning to slide that might, uh, you know, want us to say, Hey, we, we need to, to do something. We need to take action. So, so Ben, let me start with you and uh, talk to you about some of the things that you have seen in churches that are uh, indicative of some serious problems beginning to develop. You guys already touched on one big one, which is outreach and evangelism. I mean, that's guaranteed, just like Adam said. It's only a matter of time. I mean, that's like having cancer. It's like it's you might have six months, you might have 60 years, but at some point it's going to catch up to you and be the end of you. And you can't expect God to bless a church or pour his spirit out on a church that where that power is not going anywhere. 
it's just it's bad stewardship on his part to do that with the church. So that's an issue. I, I think the other two issues that that I see that I think are just really critical. One is preaching. If you have a church where the preaching is theologically weak, where you're not discipling people from the pulpit, where you're not regularly calling people to repent and believe the gospel, even Christians, because we need to hear that too. Um, if you're not doing that on a regular basis, if you are not feeding the sheep the word of God, that church is going to die. Again, it might it might take a while, but a shepherd that doesn't feed his flock, the flock's going to be emaciated, and eventually the sheep are just going to start falling over all over the place, and then you don't have a flock anymore. And so that's a big problem. That doesn't look a certain way. That's not necessarily a certain style of preaching. It's more about the content. You know, I mean, you yeah. can get a guy out there that rip, rip roars and spits on the fourth row and, and everybody in that church will die and go to hell. And you can get another guy in there that's the most intellectual, calm, frozen, chosen guy with all the right theology. But if he's not calling people to repent, if he's not trying to do whatever, then it doesn't matter. So it's it's not even necessarily about the preacher as much as the preaching. Well, and, and I would like to follow up on that in a little more detail in a moment. One more characteristic okay. is just as healthy membership. If you're a Bible college student and you're listening to this and you're getting ready to go into the ministry, there's like a 99% chance you're going to go into a church that needs revitalization. Mm -hmm. And when you go into that church, I would say there's three reasons why that church needs revitalization, most likely. One, it's probably had poor preaching for at least some part of its life um, where people aren't being fed spiritually. Two, they're not doing evangelism. They're not reaching people. And three, their membership is not healthy. I heard, I think it was maybe Brian Croft say one time that if you go into a dark room and the lights are turned off, somebody turned those lights off. Either somebody didn't pay the power bill or there's a person in there that doesn't want the lights to be turned on. And if you come in there and turn the lights on, you're going to find out who it is. And that happens to a lot of pastors. They go into a church needing revitalization and they turn the lights on and find out, oh, wow, there's no power here because nobody's preaching. Or, oh, wow, there's somebody in here that doesn't want the light to be on because they want to stay in here in the dark. And and a lot of times that's kind of a membership issue. In my limited experience, I'm young, I'm not I'm not a very experienced pastor. I've served in five churches and just anecdotally and talking to other pastors, those are kind of the three main things that I see that are that are kind of a source of a need for revitalization. Okay. And so I want to come back to that second one just a little bit a little bit more uh, detail and establish the fact that when when you're talking about the quality of the preaching. You're not necessarily saying that it's not uh, skilled communication necessarily could could be, or that the content being presented might be fine. It's not necessarily heretical, but that it is diluted in terms of certain dimensions that aren't covered, or yeah, I mean, I, to emotion or experience more than the the doctrinal soundness is that kind of what we're talking about yeah i th- i think part of that piper and others have mentioned this part of that is this idea of of pastoring being a career or being a professional right and the scripture looks at that in a much more or- organic sense with shepherding and so i think that you can be a a gifted orator and you can have very sound theology and you can do all that and not shepherd people well and so, um, and I think we've kind of seen that, you know, with trends like, you know, Willow Creek back in the day was a big one. And then Saddleback was a big one. Even Life Church, you know, it's like, okay, you can download your sermon outlines and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of that stuff, you download a sermon online, it might have great theology and it might be very well organized and you might be able to communicate it very well, but you're not feeding, feeding those sheep. Exactly. And so in my mind, I think a lot of guys, 
I, and I heard this. I heard this in Bible college of, you know, you preach for 10 years, you put all your sermons in, in a filing cabinet, and then you're good. You just warm them up every once in a while and you're fine. And the problem is, is you had guys that did that for a 30-year ministry, which means they never really studied God's word after 10 years. And they weren't really speaking to the hearts of their people. Or in some cases, they weren't able to. Because I do want to be fair. I think there's a lot a lot of older men in ministry that that were faithful to the Lord and that do love the people in their church. And so I don't want to make it appear as though like the entire generation is horrible. But I think that's where the membership issue ties in, too. Because I know a lot of pastors that I've lived in this parsonage for 30 years and I don't have a house to go to. And I'm five years from retirement, and these people really need to be rebuked. But I can't do that because I've got an unhealthy membership, mm-hmm. and they'll run me out of the church. And there's a lot of situations like that. And the problem is, is those guys will cruise on into retirement and not deal with those issues. And then a young guy comes in, and the church blows up in two years. Right. Well, and and so th- this is not meant to brag because it, it's not. But at, at my age and with the resources I have available and how long I've been doing these things and – uh I could just shift it neutral and just coast to the the rest of the time, hardly ever crack open a book or get involved in study. In fact, what we're doing here right now, I don't have to be here. I right. could be out you know, playing golf this afternoon or, or whatever. But I think there is a strong temptation in that older generation to do that. I know when there was a ministry assessment that was done when I was uh, doing my uh, college uh, things, the professor that did that assessment well, let's say I'd been in ministry for 10 years. He wanted to know, he said, do you have 10 years of ministry or do you have one year 10 times? That's good. And, <laughs> That's good. really good. Yeah. yeah. And so I think we've got to be very cautious uh, about that. So I think all of those are good. So let me summarize. When a church uh, has a lack of evangelism and mission, when that great commission uh, goes by the wayside, when it becomes the great omission, that's a sign that a church is in trouble. When the Word of God is not being employed to feed the people without a call to repentance and uh, faith, then there's issues there. And if there's not a healthy church membership and uh, where accountability and responsibility, those expectations that are biblical are not present, then those are symptoms of a church that is sick and in need of revitalization. Are there any that you would add to that? Yeah, I mean— they're not drastically different, but kind of symptomatic of the same thing. Talking about the healthy membership component, you know, just looking at the spiritual temperature of the folks, I think a lot of times can tell you, because there are some pastors out there, man, they're working as hard as they possibly mm-hmm. can. They're dragging an anchor through a sea with no water, man. Like it's, you know, it's uh, some of the, some of these guys are just busting it in really are having a hard time making headway because the the ground they're trying to till is so hard and weeds have grown up. And so I think looking at a congregation, you know, what are the people interested in? It's a real simple way to put it. Um, are they interested in like the Bible <laughs> or, you know, are they more consumed by sports or farming or whatever it is, politics, whatever it is? Are they interested in the things of God primarily? And I think when you look at, I used to um, do some church health assessments as well, and I think a trend that you see in there is indeed everything that you mentioned, Ben, uh, but also just you know trying to put your finger on the pulse of what's driving the people's lives. A real practical way to look at that is, you know, Ravi Zacharias has referred to money as congealed life. We spend our hours earning paper. 
Where your treasure is, there your heart yes. will be also. Yes, and so what are people giving to? Are they giving? What does their calendar look like? What are they giving their lives to? And so I think we can just really sit down as pastors and even lay leaders and as we counsel people and talk with our friends within the church, what are they doing? You know, what are they giving toward? What are they interested in? I think that'll tell us a lot about the uh, the, the health of the church. And, and Terry, as you were talking about that, I was thinking about the, the word holiness. Yeah. A lot of times holiness gets a rap where we're talking about a lot of do's and don'ts, mostly don'ts. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about uh, a set-apart people who yeah. understand that they are God's chosen, that they have a mission in this world, and that they are to impact the culture rather than the culture impacting them. There's a good yeah. sermon series at Westwood Baptist Church on 150 Westwood is Place. Is that the, where Adam Black is the <clears throat> yeah. pastor? There's a good sermon series. I heard that place on. is being revived is what I heard. <laughs> yeah. is what There's I heard. a good sermon series we on love pursuing holiness yeah. uh, right now going on. Right. But, um, so so I, I think but that set-apart attitude that we realize that God's done that to make us salt so that we can season society light to repel the darkness and if the light loses you know if the salt loses its saltiness what good is it what good if is we it? can get church right. people to be as salty as they're on facebook yeah 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 that's a different yeah that is a different kind of saltiness yeah, yeah. to be to be can sure. you be both is what is what yeah. i'm hoping yeah. so, so i think that is a, a component we can add to that uh, adam you got another I think one of the big problems that and stuff that I've read and and, and and things that I've seen, this hope for the past. When the church, if the church is needing revitalization at some point, it was thriving. Mm-hmm. And so the people that are remaining there that maybe have gone through that season when, when the church was thriving, they think and see that, well, this worked then. It's got to work now. And, and they usually view it. As somebody's not doing it right, whether it be the pastor or someone else of that nature. And I remember Matt Chandler talking one time in an interview and saying that if you can't respect the past, then you need to get out of ministry. Mm-hmm. If you can't respect the fact, you know, I, I, you know, Bible school's a, a hot topic a lot of times. And, you know, and I've heard a lot of guys talk about they want to get rid of Bible school or, and whatever your opinion on that is, is fine. But, if you can't res- understand that so many people within your church were saved through Bible school and you can't respect that and understand that it is vital to their life, then then it's going to be tough. But on the flip side of that, uh, the past isn't going to get you into the future. And I, I saw a quote last week. It says, no church has a future unless its dreams are bigger than its memories. And um, I think that, you know, because just talking to some of the folks in our church, you know, they they remember the the heyday. They remember when Billy Graham preached there. They remember when the church was thriving. And so they all want to see that again, but they're trying to do it in ways that or they think they're going to be able to do it in ways that was done in the 50s and 60s. And it just it's not going to happen. Well, the core things are the same. I mean, there are things that, quote unquote, work. Throughout millennia, right, mm-hmm. making disciples, Correct. for example, you know, raising people up to be spiritually mature believers and people who are interested in reaching the lost, and those things—that's just how Jesus has chosen to build His church. Right, those things always, quote unquote, work. Right, right? but it's yes, yeah, the context and how do we how yeah, do I we mean, do that? I mean, if I were to, you know, where our church is located, if I were to put on the billboard and promote this. Southern gospel concert, right. you know, in the fifties and sixties, you may see people come to the Lord and come fill the place up, but they probably wouldn't be that many people show up 
there. So I think it's this one of the big problems is is they embrace the past way more than they embrace the future, and and so that takes some navigating. Yeah, and I think that sense of nostalgia is always a, a problem. And what they need to realize is that the good old days weren't really as good as what they recall. Tomorrow's not as bad as it seems. As or, or, even, or even yeah. just saying, thank God for those days. Right. Let's bring yeah, on better days. Yeah, yeah. You know? I think, sure. I think too, to go along with what you're saying, Adam, part of good revitalization is, is contextualization. Like Terry said, I mean, there's fundamentals. Any church in the world, any time in the world, you have to have the word of God being taught. You need people that are praising God. They're lifting him up. They're bringing him glory. You need people that are making disciples. That happened in all of our churches. If we're in established churches at one point or another, which is the reason why they exist, because somebody planted that church and there was a need for that church. And so in revitalization, what you're doing is recontextualizing that and, and, and saying, hey, this is the history of the church and this is what God did here. And the reason he did it wasn't because of what we were doing on the outside. It's because of the power of the word of God and the gospel. And we still believe in that power and we need that power. But the way that that's going to look now might be different. Yeah, he changed us. Right. And right. then we have an impact outside of here, but he changes us first. That's how revival works every time. Yeah. Sure. The theology doesn't change, but the methodology certainly yes. needs to. Right. And I think a lot of churches. That that's need- compromised, Dana. It is. Yes. <laughs> And there, there's some compromise that's good, but anyway, we won't go down that trail. But uh, the truth is that uh, there's a lot of churches that uh, have designed programs for a people who no longer exist. Now they're <laughs> sacred cows. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, sacred cows make uh, gourmet hamburgers. Yes, they do. <laughs> yes, they do. So, uh, and we'll is get that, more. Is that coming from experience? Uh, yeah, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we can get more into the the how here in just a moment. A couple other things I would add to that. You know, the Lord didn't say that his house is to be a house of preaching, although preaching is vital. He didn't say it was to be a house of programming, although programming is important. He said it would be a house of prayer. And where you find a church where people talk about prayer, but you go in and maybe the prayer request is just an organ recital. <laughs> you know. Right. And, uh, and all that sort of thing. And they never get around to praying for the community, a real passionate intercession, crying out to God in repentance and confession. And where there's not that vibrant prayer life, there'll be no revitalization in the church. And, and I, and I see that as a real issue in many churches uh, today. They are like a, a car that's run out of gas. Okay. And they're still moving, but they're getting slower and slower and slower. But the, the prayer life is going to be that gas in the tank. So, so that's an issue. And then a couple other things I thought about is the, the sharing of ministry where people and the, the quote laity are involved in using their gifts. If you'll notice the church is dying, the budget, of course, begins to change because the money starts drying up. But I'll tell you one thing that they will fund to the end. Well, well, two things really. The first thing is, you know, paying the light bill and then paying the preacher. Because they want the professional there, the chaplain, right. the one to take care of them, to bury them, to visit them in the hospital. So they're going to make sure that that is paid for and make sure there's a place there where they can come in and you know do do their thing. But as far as the expenditure of, of funds and, and the most important resource you have, people, you know, the raising up of those folks, the sharing of ministry, church that needs revitalization may have a very capable pastor. But he's the guy that's running around doing everything instead of raising up other other leaders. And then the last thing I would say is, 
is the loss of unity in the church. Hmm. John 17, Jesus prayed and said, this is how the world will know that he has been sent from the Father. We have that love for each other when we're one. Of course, that division, it's, it's young against old. It's the racial component can come in uh, a host of ways, but uh, just the, the nitpicky stuff that happens when a church begins to decline, mark it down, there'll be a spirit of, of schism that will come in. It comes down to the preference thing a lot yeah, of times. Yeah. yeah, things that don't really matter, that shouldn't be a priority, and it becomes a consuming thing. So let's get to the most important part. What can be done about it? You know, we talked about what the problems are and, and why we need revitalization. Uh, as far as you're concerned, let's say you're in one of those situations, what would be some of the, the first one or two things you ought to focus on to help lead the people in revitalization? Because if it doesn't begin with us as leaders, what good are we? I mean, that's why God sent us sent us there. So, Adam, let me start with you. Yeah, I would okay. say the, the number one thing, and I've learned this, is you have to stand on Scripture. You've got to stand on God's word. You cannot get into preferential battles. You can't do it because if you do, you will lose. Um, so you've got to be able to stand on scripture when there's discussions and fights and things of that nature. If someone is being unbiblical, call it out as being unbiblical or get them to show you where in scripture that maybe you are wrong. Mm -hmm. And so that's the first thing I put is, is to stand on scripture. Number two is have a kingdom mindset. It ain't about your glory. It's not about building you up. It's not about, well, I want to grow my church. I want to grow, you know, look at what I've done. It's about growing God's church. And so you want to have a, a kingdom mindset and a kingdom vision. You know, that's something that God, I'm not bragging on myself, but that's something that God has really dealt with me over the last two or three years. And, um, I mean, like our church now, our facilities are pretty large, but they were fairly empty. So we, you know, I, we reached out and now we're letting another church meet in our building because we're all on the same team. You know, I've got on our billboard. Well, not now, but, you know, two churches, one location, one mission. And it's it's the truth. You've got to have a kingdom mindset. That's really for for all churches. And um, one of the other things I wrote down, and I think this is the big one. Uh, ben and I talked a little bit about this is commitment. You've got to be committed to what God has called you to. Um, I've seen and, and read and seen people that least little bit of resistance or you take a loss, you want something to happen and um, or somebody gets mad at you. Well, I'm going to go find another church. You know, you always think the grass is greener on the other side. But the fact is that God has called you to that place. And a part of that commitment, and this might be kind of a different thing, is please be bivocational in revitalization efforts because you Amen. do you do not want Money to be the reason you're committed or not committed. Yeah, you're um, saying voluntarily by vocational, even if that's the absolutely. Case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some people might think, you know, if you're like, "Well, I can't go there because of the money." Well, because in those situations, and it, it hasn't happened in my situation, but I have heard it in other situations that that's that is how they control you. That is how they can control you is is by the money. So if you take the money component off the table, then um, then they they can't get you but i also want to add to this but of course really and i, and I don't want to quibble because I, th I think you're absolutely right but the truth is if, if that ever happens we've become a hireling we're, we're not a shepherd at, at that point 
doesn't matter whether we're that's true vocational bivocational it's a, that's a hard issue of a person right but but it is easier i think to hold that in check if if we don't have people it's less paycheck over it's, us it's less stressful yeah. and there's, i want there's more pressure when you're full time yeah you got especially you got a family if you have a family sure. and i also want to add this too because i know we've got a lot of people who maybe um you know just church members you be committed you have a biblical mindset you have a kingdom mindset that it isn't about you and and so you know stick it out with your church through thick and thin love people help grow the church be the reason that things turn around you know prayer um don't just jump ship because things don't go your way well it looks better down the street well before long the church down the street will be less than the other church down the street and so church hopping i remember I forgot his name. He used to do a sermon on grasshoppers um, here at Polk Crew when I was a kid. Never will forget that. Sounds that's like what a Johnny Taylor sermon. No, it wasn't Johnny Taylor. It was <laughs> Carol Cagle. That's okay. mine. Just came to my mind. But but stick it out, you know, and and because you can help make the difference. You need people. Pastors who are in revitalization need people committed. Because um, yeah. if not, you're you're <laughs> you're going to struggle. Well, and 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 just to piggyback onto that. To me, one of the most dispiriting things that happens to me in ministry is when people that you've invested in, poured your life into, when they leave. Now, you may say, well, that's a fleshly reaction. Well, guess what? I'm a human being. And and already, if you're in one of those situations needing revitalization, you are battling. You're fighting hell by the half acre. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're going through a lot of stuff, pressures and problems and criticisms and all the things that, that happen. And then when you've got somebody you're kind of really counting on and they decide, yeah, I'm, I'm out of here. Uh, I'm, that is, that is tough. And, and I just want to say to you again, if you're a church member out there listening, I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on you, but, but if you walk away and leave that man there, uh, out there swinging by himself, that's just, uh, just a very, very sad, very disappointing thing. Now, I think you would say, Dennis, that it, it, the, the reason that somebody may, do something different matters a lot. Sure. Um, you know, where, for example, when, um, when I was on staff with you and went to plant a church, you know, you and I sat in this office where we're recording right you now. You're sitting right here. I was sitting right there. And we, we cried <laughs> together. Exactly. You and I cried together and it was, a it, it was a beautiful thing. And I said it on the podcast. It's your first words to me were, well, we need to help you plant. Right. So it's a different thing if somebody is moving out, you know, the Lord's sending them sure. versus somebody leaving because they're disgruntled or, man, that's a bright, shiny, new looking church over there or whatever. Big difference. Yeah. You want to have a kingdom mindset. Yeah. You're constantly sending people out. Yeah. You know, the old, the old expression, the strength of the church measured more by its sending capacity than its seating capacity. No yeah. doubt about that. But But what I'm talking about are those folks that, in that revitalization effort, when you're in that mode of trying to become healthy, feels like an amputation. Really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of hard to go forward that way. So, Ben, let me turn to you. What would be some critical elements you think that need to happen? I suspect biblical preaching will be one that you'll mention. But uh, and so you feel free to do that and build on it. But what what needs to happen to revitalize that church? One is preach the Bible well. And spend a lot of time doing that, of thinking about that, of who are these people, like Terry was saying, know the culture, know who they are, feed them something that's going to strengthen their soul and make them love Jesus more. You can, any, any pastor can do that going in. If you go in there and they just don't want to hear the Bible, then I mean, the church needs to die. 
I mean, so, so it's not really a church, know, is it? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's not. So, so, but in most cases they do, you know, usually, I mean, usually churches have Christians in them and so they want to hear the Bible. <laughs> you know, that's, that's one thing you can do right away. And the second thing is that membership piece. You may not be able to control the back door as far as if, if you're, if, if you're anywhere around here, if you're listening to this podcast right now, you're probably either in or going into a church with a bloated role. That's just the world that we live in. And it, when you're going into a church, there's nothing you can do about that. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to be able to, but you can control that front door of who's coming in. And so one of the things you can do right away is, you know, talk with your deacons, talk with your leadership of, hey, you know, instead of Susie coming down front and and signing a card and giving her a box of tithing envelopes, why don't we sit down with her and find out if she's saved first before she joins the church? And, and then give a box of give them a and box then, of tithing it. Does that no, happen? Wow! No, um, I need to do no, that. No, we just put, we we send ours out in the mail. So that's, <laughs> we do uh, we do online. automatic bank draft during our membership interviews. <laughs> right. so, exactly. Just kidding. <laughs> but uh, but I did hear on a podcast this week where somebody said to do that. It's a gym membership, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. Two of the things you can do right away is preach the Bible and feed people, right. and control that front door. So you may not be able to get some people out that maybe need to be out. But you can put good people in and, and over enough time and with and with enough influence, the membership is going to gradually begin to get healthier. And that'll change the overall culture of the church. And like Adam said, if you get some people in there that will stick with you and are mature Christians and are about the mission of the church, those people are going to shoulder up with you and, and make progress in that church. Well, I'll, I'll follow up on that because, you know, a lot of young guys coming into those situations, you know, maybe fresh out of seminary or whatever, they have this great <laughs> vision of the way things are going to be. And they come in like a bull in the china shop and it doesn't go well for the church and it surely doesn't go well for them. So I think having that patience and, and you can't let the ideal become an ordeal. Now, yes, we want to be thoroughly biblical, but, but I will say to you, if you go in and try right away to establish uh, church discipline, a church that has not practiced it, nope. what's going to happen is you're going to be the one excommunicated. Yes. You know, it's like I, trying to discipline somebody else's kids. Yeah. Yeah. yeah good luck with that. Exactly. Right, yeah. <laughs> but, but, I, but I think in time that can happen, but it's sure. going to have a lot of groundwork. So you got to be invested, like Adam says, for the. For the long haul. So and it's the same thing that, true. again, that shepherding illustration is so good. Uh, that shepherd's first day on the job with that flock, they're not going to listen to him. They're not going to follow his voice. They're not going to, they're not going to trust him. They're not going to do any of that. And it's only after he protects them from a few wolves and is feeding them and is making sure that they're healthy and taken care of. Then that, that trust and that, that uh, willingness to follow builds up. But you can't manufacture that. You can't just go in and say, Hey, sheep, here's my resume. I'm real qualified. I've led a lot of sheep folds into health. You guys need to just follow me. Now you it can, you like can that. give them treats and they'll come to you for the treats, right? But they won't trust you because if somebody else comes along with better treats, bigger treats, yes. they'll just leave. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, and, and I think also, let me flip that from talking about the younger guys to some of the older guys out there that part of our responsibilities, we start, you know, looking toward the final close of our tenure in a church is to try to get them ready for the next man that is to is to come, the next shepherd to arrive. So I'm thinking about succession here and how to how to do all that because I want a church that doesn't just continue ministry because as we said, you, you never just stay where you are. Uh, I want to set the stage for the the best years and the best growth of Pole Creek after I'm gone. And, and so you know, that's what I'm going to invest in doing when it's really easy just to coast, just to shift it neutral and, you know, just enjoy yourself that last little time and have a big celebration and, and you're out of there. 
So along with that, what about the guys who, who have done ministry and perhaps done it well? Is there a place for them after they, quote, retire, which I don't <laughs> think you can actually retire, in helping to bring about revitalization? My father-in-law. Yes. I, mean, yeah, it, I thought of him, too. It's yeah. a, it's a, he's a prime example, and he, he's commented. I mean, that's been his ministry. <laughs> this has been basic revitalization. And as he's pointed out, this is just the new word or whatever, because he said, I've been doing that for many years. God's really put a lot of pieces together at our church, but he had to, he had to retire. It was a, it was a medical deal. And the the doctor basically told him he, he had to retire. Him and my mother in law have come on board with us, and they're they're on board. I'm able to lean on him. You know, he's able to give me suggestions and and you know encouragement and things of that nature. And I've really been able to lean on him and. um and so for the older guys that might be in transition, man, us younger guys, I, I, you might find, you know, a, a group that aren't teachable, maybe. Uh, I was in that stage maybe for a little while, but I know for myself and a lot of other younger guys, man, we need you guys really in whatever ministry capacity that, that you're in, whether it's revitalization or a youth pastor or whatever. We need you guys. You know, we need you, your guys' wisdom. And that's how some of these older guys can pour into us younger guys. And I think, Dennis, you, you're a great example of that, you know, of wanting to pour into other guys. You don't have to do that. You don't have to meet us and uh, things of that nature. But but you have a kingdom mindset. It ain't about you. This ain't your ministry. This isn't, you know, my your deal. This is, this is God's. And um, pour into some of these younger guys like myself. So, uh, Terry, I'll kind of let you wind it up. Um, let's just suppose you're in that, that ministry. You walk into that, that door for the very first time, that church has been in decline with all these host of issues. What would be the first thing, your top priority to, to get things moving in the right direction? Well, I think you uh, – can I give two? Yes, you can. <laughs> okay. uh, you can do two. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I think you touched on it before, Dennis. I think, I think prayer – Man, it's such a, you know, pious sounding thing to say, but man, if we believe that only God regenerates and only God can bring revival, and this is indeed his church and it's born of the spirit, then man, we need a fresh filling of the spirit of God. Like truly, it's only the spirit of God that's going to allow the people to see that, man, they probably need to repent of some things that they have gone amiss maybe have become complacent. Uh, it's the Spirit of God that that does that work in the people of God. So I would say, you know, as the pastor, just begin praying. You know, even if, if you can find one person to pray with you, start praying with that person. If you can find a, a, a bunch of guys would be ideal because – Unfortunately, guys tend to be the spiritual lazy people of the home. Um, if there's one who's lazy and one who's not, the guy's usually the one who is. Let's be honest. So if you can find a, a, just a small one or two guys to get with you and pray and ask the Lord to help us repent or bring revival to us, we want to be made new. We know that you love us. Jesus died for us. We're still your children. Will you make a, a new work happen here? I would say prayer would be the first thing. And secondly, it, it's on the small scale again. You know, Jesus revolutionized the world with the gospel by starting with a handful of folks. And I, say, I think the same thing needs to happen in churches if they're looking to revitalize. Find one or two people. You know, if you've got 
Uh, and the good news is they have a handful of folks. That's why. They're, that's right. Yeah, they're they're, they're still there. there. You know, it's not a, they haven't boarded up the windows. There might be one person, and he's ninety four years old. Right. Well, that guy's alive. He's filled with the Spirit of God. You're alive. You're filled with the Spirit of God. You've been led to that church. He's been led to that church. Well, maybe the Lord wants to do something with y'all too. You know. So I would say on a small scale and begin praying. And begin pouring into some guys, letting them pour into you. Maybe if they're if they're a, a accomplished pastor that's retired or something. A lot of those are floating around in churches. They've been elders and things like that. Maybe the Lord would use you two or you three or four to begin a work. And I would just add from from my experience, try to know your people. One of the one of the best privileges I have. I don't preach on a weekly basis. Is uh, for the first six months that I was at Barberville, I didn't start anything. All I did was I attended every single Sunday school class. I went to every event and I just sat and just listened to the teachers, listened to the other people in the class talk, like Terry was saying, just trying to get a pulse of like, who are these people? What's important to them? Where are they at spiritually? And then at that time, there was no children's program or anything like that. And so that helped me design that instead of going and pulling a book off the shelf and saying, boom, here's what we're going to do. It was okay. What does this community need? What can we do to serve people in our church that is not being done? Where are the families that are not regularly attending a church or are not part of a church? And what do they need that we can do? And I started asking that question. And I feel like even now, the more that I get to know them, the more effective the ministry is. And I think one of the one of the most powerful tools that a pastor has is his dinner table. I, I, I believe that more and more, mm-hmm. the more that I keep going mm-hmm. is that, if you want to build that trust, if you want to build that commitment, all those things that we talked about, a lot of that is going to happen around a crock pot. Yeah, no it's, it's absolutely true. Well, it's, it's the old thing, the old axiom that people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. And the shepherd's got to be among the sheep where you come to know them, know them by name, love them, and then they'll tend to respond. They'll follow you anywhere, you yeah. know. As long as you're following the the good shepherd, we pray for every church out there that's in need of revitalization. There are a lot of them. God uh, can cause those uh, dry dead bones to live, and so I also want to encourage any weary pastor out there to preach to those dry bones and believe in God. Don't have a God that's small. Understand that God is big and it's more than just a theological concept. He is that ultimate reality. And as we pray, he is well able to bring revitalization to the church. And so thank you for tuning in. Yes, Terry. Yeah, I'm sorry. One more thing. And to the lay people, I want to say to you, most revivals in history start with like college students praying in the altar or Mm -hmm. things like that. It's usually not through some big firebrand preacher. It's the person in the pew who has a heart for the Lord, and the Lord begins that little ember to burn. So I, I would encourage the lay people out there, understand the Lord can use you to bring revival as well as you submit to him. You can continue the conversation online by visiting us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the number four horsemen. Don't forget to tell your friends and enemies about the podcast and be sure to subscribe and review. They look at me funny when I talk like I got a speech impediment. Homie, check my passport. Heaven, I'm a resident. Like a conscious rapper, but do more than master president. I see brothers coughing, so I hit them with the medicine. On the other side, they say their grass is greener. Seen the forecast, man, they calling for Katrina. Hello out there in Radio Land. (laughs) (laughs) 
Welcome back. It's going to be a long night. <laughs> He's back. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist.